Hey, it's Cody Woodard, pastor of Renovation Church in Gallatin, Tennessee. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. I hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. All right, well, today we are in week three of a series called Dangerous Prayers because following Jesus was never meant to be safe. And today, he's not a guest. Um, He's one of the most special anointed men I know. And I told him I wasn't gonna cry up here. But I just wanna tell you, for those of you who don't know Pastor Steve, I guess it was about a year ago, maybe a little longer, as a church plant, we were gathering in my living room and beginning to, to have interest parties around our city and beginning to pray about where we would have our gathering, where we would meet physically as a church. And a friend of mine crossed paths with me and Steve and um, Steve was a pastor in this very building on this very stage I'm standing right now for 33 years, faithfully serving God and loving the city of Gallatin. And two years prior to that, he retired and was him and and his team, they were praying through what to do next. Where would they go? They've been here a long time and they wanted to see God move again. So God crossed our paths and heard that there was a new church in Gallatin that was looking for a place to meet. And he asked me, he said, would you, would you just wanna have our space? Dang it. And you know, when we were gifted this building and gifted this space and renovated the whole thing, and you know, people would tell me, they're like, listen, I, I know you're a new church, but if there's some people who used to attend the one that used to be there, the old pastor, you gotta make sure that they go because it'll never work. Like you can't step into a new season with the old still lingering. The devil is a liar. Because right now, not only, are, not only is it a healthy relationship, but it's one of the most valuable relationships in my life. Not only is he a friend, he's became a mentor and a pastor to me and my family. And our church wouldn't be the same without his presence in it. And so I don't care where you're watching right now. I just want you to stand up and I want you to honor this man of God, Pastor Steve Briggins. I wanna welcome him to the stage. Come on, put your hands together in the chat. We love you. Morning, church. It's really good to be with you. And I'm so pumped and excited about next week. I'm looking forward to seeing some faces that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, I serve on the dream team, and I'm one of the first faces that a lot of people see when they come to church on Sunday morning. And I get to see them get out of their cars. I get to see the kids come out and go into, into the children's ministry. And all of that is such a great, great thing. And I am excited to be here with you today, excited to have the privilege to share the gospel with you today. I'm not sure why Cody chose this particular message for me to preach. Maybe it was penitence on my part. I'm not sure. I'm just kidding. Last week, he shared about praying the prayer, God, search us. Search us. Reveal our fears, uncover our sins, and lead us to make the decisions that need to be made that changes our lives and changes the lives of those around us. Now, I want to warn you. 
you probably will not like the prayer I'm going to challenge you with today. In fact, some of you may refuse to pray this prayer. It doesn't match the normal, safe prayers that many of us pray. It's not consistent with the God should make our life easier way of American Christianity today. Today's prayer may be the most dangerous prayer you will ever pray in your life because of God's answers to these prayers are going to do some things to you. First of all, it's not going to make you comfortable. You're going to be uncomfortable. You probably won't like the answer that God gives you. You may not like how it makes you feel. You might lose some sleep over it. Your heart might start to burn with a righteous anger. You may start doing things that other people just do not understand. Here's the prayer. Break me. Strip me of comfort and ease. Make me uncomfortable. Cause my heart to break for what breaks yours. That is a very, very dangerous prayer. When you say, God, break my heart for the things that break your heart, it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you a little of my personal story. My brother accidentally shot himself when he was 17 years old. My first sermon was an absolute disaster. It just tanked. My first try to go to college... It just didn't work out. Everything that I was told, everything that I thought I could get, everything that could happen, all the things that could come to place, all the people that were behind me saying, go, 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 because this is what God's calling you to do. It just did not work out. Shirley and I just folded our hands and came back home and wept over the fact that we just couldn't get there. The first church I served out of my college, the first full-time church I was in, at the two-year mark, I was fired. My brother's only daughter, at age 18, had a serious car accident and was killed. It was just a freak accident. Two other girls in the car with her rarely got a, hardly got a scratch. And yet she died. Now, through all of that, all of these things... Here's what I've learned. That there are blessings that can only come by experiencing times of being broken. And today, I want us to look at two passages, two different stories in the Bible. They're both in the same book. They're both in... Chapter 14 of the book of Mark. So if you want to turn there and you'll be able to see what I'm talking about here. The first story deals with a prostitute. Prostitute in that, and though its days were uh, very hated, they were despised, they were, they were full of shame. We don't even know much about this woman 
other than she was hated by almost every woman and she was used by many men. One day, though, she met this man who treated her differently, differently than she'd ever been treated in her entire life. Maybe for the first time she was shown honor, shown respect, given some dignity. And it transformed her in such a miraculous way that she wanted to worship him in the most sacrificial way she could imagine. And her act of worship completely confused everyone else in the house that was there that day. Read with me if you'd like. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. And this is the NLT version. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. The first thing I want to call your attention to is whose home was Jesus in? He was in Simon the leper's home. Everyone else ran from lepers, but what we find here was that Jesus hung out with them. And so what we have here is a rabbi, a leper, and a prostitute. That almost sounds like a joke starting out, doesn't it? It's crazy. And she comes in with this very, very expensive perfume. Now let me explain. This perfume was so expensive, so valuable that it was equal to a year's worth of wages for a man in that day. Imagine what you make in a year. All in this bottle. It was incredibly rare. Ordinary women didn't wear perfume in those days because it was just too expensive. They couldn't afford it. But for this woman, this was a way to identify herself as a woman who was available It was also a way for her to draw business. Second thing I want to draw to your attention is, what did she do with the jar? She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over Jesus' head. She broke the jar. She poured the perfume on his head. She broke. And she poured. She broke. And she poured. If we continued to read this story, you would see that the people in the room just freaked out. I mean, they literally freaked out. Maybe we would have too if we had been there. Because it was just too valuable. I mean, why not put a drop on his head? Why not give him an ounce? But the whole bottle, it was so extravagant. Why not have sold it and divided it up? Why not have given the money to the poor? There were all kinds of questions that day. 
But what we need to understand is this. This act of worship was more extravagant than you can imagine. This meant two things for this woman. First it meant, I'm giving you my whole life. This jar of perfume, perfume, it represented her past. But it also represented her future. She's saying, I'm leaving my past life behind. And I'm giving my future source of income away. She ended it. She ended where she had been and started where she was going in an act of great worship for a man who held her high instead of wanting to use her. She's saying, Jesus, you loved me so much, I'll break open the most valuable possession I have and I'll pour it all out for you. Broken. And poured. Broken. Poured. Now that's the first story. Let me read you the second one. It's also in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 22 through 24. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces. And he gave it to his disciples saying, Take it for this is my body. And then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. And it is poured out. As a sacrifice for many, it's broken and it's poured. My body, he said, is going to be broken for you. My blood is going to be poured out for you. I'm giving everything I have all of myself. By being broken and poured. Now Luke also tells this story, but he kind of fills in some things that Mark doesn't talk about. In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, we find that he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me now all scholars agree that this do this means to celebrate communion all churches do it some argue and I agree with them that the do this was more than just communion Jesus says, do this, do this, do this. What does he mean by this, do this? I think he meant that it's more than just a ritual to partake of. 
more than just an act of carrying it out among those that are our friends. I think what he was talking about here was it's an act of living as he lived, loving as he loved. To die to ourselves daily and to live for his glory. It's more than just taking communion and remembering his sacrifice. But may we also be broken. May we also be poured out. That we might make a difference in the world around us. My prayer is that God will break you. Now I told you in the beginning of this message that my first sermon just tanked. Well, it did. It was in the church that I had grown up in from the time I was in middle school. My mother, I'm sure, had called every family member and every friend she knew of because her son was going to be preaching that night. And I just tanked. And after it was all over with and I got home, I was in such despair that I got down on my knees beside my bed and I said, Now, God, if this is what you've called me to do, then this has to be different than this. This surely can't be what you've called me to do and it, and it be like this. And I broke. A few weeks later, I got the opportunity to preach my second sermon. It was in the church that I had grown up in from a child to my middle school year. I came in early as has always been what I do. And I sat down on the front pew and there was no one in the church. And I sat there and I, I was, honestly, I was going over and over with God about, God, this, this, you have to do something tonight. You have to do something different. I can't. Do what you want me to do and, and, and feel like this. And the next thing I knew, it was time to start. And it was time for me to go up and it was time for me to speak. And when I got to the stage, the place was packed. People were standing up around the room. They were standing up out in the foyer. They were standing in a room to the right of the sanctuary like ours here today. That church was building a new church. They were busting at the seams. They were waiting for their building to, be get, to get done. And that night I got up and spoke. And at the end of the message when the altar call was given, a man came forward and gave his life to Christ that the church had been working with for years. And the pastor said, I don't know what it was that you said or what it was that you did tonight that made him move, but God gets the glory for this. My third message was back in that first church. And my best friend walked the aisle that night and was saved. I told you that I first tried to go to college, and, and I did, and it just didn't work out. And we came back home, and I, and I prayed about it, and I was broken about it. And I, I told Shirley I was just going to find a better job, and I was going to save half, and we were going to live on half. And lo and behold, I did. I got one of the best jobs in town. You had to be there 30 days for you to be permanent. 
On the 28th day, I went in to get my check. I went into the boss's office, and the boss said, Today's your last day. And I said, What? He said, It's not your work. I recommend you to anyone. All I can tell you is it's pressure from above, and this is your last day. I had a newborn baby at home that was a month old. Couldn't find a job, worked whatever I could find, drawed a little bit of unemployment. And then my brother-in-law called me from Nashville. He was working at Bridgestone Firestone on the Vern. He said, they're opening up uh, for new workers and come over now and, and, and put in your application. So I did. And I got the job. And we moved over here. Six months later, the church where I preached my first message called. They said, we'd like for you to come back. We want to hire you as our children's minister. We want you to do the bus ministry. Now, I want you to understand, this was in the late 70s. $200 was a lot of money a week then. And I cleared $199.99. And I quit that job for a guarantee of $50 a week and moved back to Missouri. And my friends in Missouri came over here and moved us back. In 21 months, God saved 51 children. 20 whole families came into the church. I now had a two-year-old, and off to college we went. I told you that after two years in the church, people being saved, the church growing, at the end of my two-year call, I was not recalled. I literally was let go. I was literally fired. Didn't know what I was going to do. We had another child at that time, and she had some physical things that were difficult for us at that particular time. I mean, if you've been to college, you know that when you get out of college, everything you got's worn out and you're broke. You don't have any money. And I had all these doctor bills coming in. And now I had lost my job. One of the evangelists that had come they held a revival for me while I was there called and said, you know, there's this church in Tennessee and I think you'd be a great fit. And it's in Gallatin. And I thought to myself, where in the world is Gallatin? But I came. And I preached. And Shirley and I asked ourselves, is this where God wants us to be? And she said, I don't know. And I said, I don't know. And I said, let's just get in the car and drive around. And so we drove around Gallatin. And ask God to give us a vision of what could be done here. And he did. And 33 years later, I retired. Now, I replaced a retiring pastor when I came here. I was 29 years old. Cody replaced a retiring pastor with a whole new idea. And a whole new church. And he was 29 years old. 
I told you that my brother accidentally shot himself, and he did, but he was a, he was a very angry young man at that time. I was, my brother's eight years older than me, I was in the third grade. The principal literally took me to the hospital when this happened. The doctor told my family that it was a miracle because it went in his side and came out back here on his back. It, the bullet literally spun around every organ in his body and around his backbone and never touched anything of significance. Our life, our family, our household got better. My brother got better. You see, we impress people with our strengths. We do. But we connect most deeply through our brokenness. The reason we say here at, Rev at Renovation, everyone is welcome, it's because everyone is welcome. And one of the reasons for it is because everyone here is broken. We don't pretend to be any other way. And it's why our pastor Cody says often, you can come and be a part before you believe. And that's so true. Let me show you one more example. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. They were in the garden, and it was the night Jesus was going to be taken. And it was the night that he was going to be beaten and flogged. And the next day, he was going to be hung on the cross. And he was telling his disciples that this was going to happen. And Peter just didn't want to believe it. And he, and he told them that, that there were going to be people that were going to depart. There were going to be people that were going to deny him. And Peter said, I'll never deny you no matter what. And then almost immediately Jesus was taken and Peter followed to see what was going to happen. Somehow Peter got in the courtyard. I don't know how. But he was watching what was going on with Jesus. And Jesus had told him that he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed the next morning. And when Peter denied that he was one of Jesus' disciples the third time, Jesus looked at him and the rooster crowed and Peter broke. Peter broke. When Jesus was resurrected from the grave, he met his disciples by the Sea of Galilee on the shore. And there when he saw Peter he forgave Peter, but he asked Peter three times, Do you love me? And Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know I do. He said, Then feed my sheep. Three times he said that. And Jesus forgave Peter. And then he asked Peter to preach on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. Those who God uses the greatest are often the ones who God has broken the deepest. Some of you right now 
have been hiding some things, have been struggling with some things, are afraid to open up, are afraid to be honest about your struggle. You fear the consequence and the impact it may have. And I want you to know, it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay there. You'll never experience healing in hiding. Last, last week, Peter, uh, Pastor Cody told us about King David. That was a real good likelihood there, Peter. He told us about King David. He told us about what David had done. He told us how that David had, had committed adultery, that David had committed murder. And that God had sent the holy prophet to David to confront him. And the holy prophet did. And David's life got wrecked. And David got broken. But the rest of that story is this. When David went before God, he said, God, if you wanted a, a thousand bulls on an altar as a sacrifice for my sin, I would give it. But I know that's not what you want. What you want is a broken and contrite heart. Now that word contrite means David expressed great remorse. Great penitence for his gift. In other words, he was broken and he was poured out. Why did God use him? Because David finally took the knowledge he had of God in his head. And he put that knowledge in his heart. His head knowledge went to become heart knowledge. And God said after that, he was, David was a man after his own heart. Now as far as I know, David never took another human life the rest of his life. The Bible says doesn't record he, that he ever took another human life. Even when his own son took his throne, took his palace, took his country, and David had to flee for his life with his wife and his servants, the general of his army said, David, let me just kill him and it will be over. This will be done. And David said, no. No, no. David was broken and he was pouring out. You see, until our head knowledge about God and who He is and who we think He is, until it gets out of our head, and gets in our heart. Nothing really ever 
changes. Our head knowledge needs to become our heart knowledge. And so my prayer for you today that I hope that you will pray is that you will pray, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Some of you, you know exactly what to pray. Right now, you're ready, you're willing, you're, you're about to explode because you know this is what you need to do today. You know you have to pray this prayer. For others of you, you may not know where to start or what to pray. Last week, we prayed and asked God to show us our fear. To uncover our sin. And whatever God put on your heart, that's where you need to start. Whatever that is, whatever that may be, pray God break me of that. That, that may be alcohol, it may be drugs, it may be partying, it may be sex outside of marriage, and the list just goes on and on. But you say, God, break me of that. That's where you start. You have to get your head knowledge into your heart. Many of you, you believe that there's a God. You believe that Jesus is His Son. You believe that Jesus died on the cross. And you keep asking yourself, why does my life not change? really change? Why do I keep falling? Why do I keep digressing? It's because your head knowledge hasn't got in your heart yet. Your head knowledge hasn't become your heart knowledge. When that happens, change happens. So I want to urge you as I close today, I want to challenge you today to pray this dangerous prayer. God, whatever it takes, break me. Break me of my sin. Break my heart for what breaks yours. I believe salvation is calling you today. Now you may be saying, Pastor Steve, I'm saved. I've asked God to come in my... I know that. But think of all the things in your life. Salvation hasn't come to you yet. All the things you've not been saved from. All the things that you're struggling with. All of those things that keeps causing you to go backwards. Hey, I've been there. I still get there at times. We often feel like we're going three steps forward and two steps back. Three steps forward and two steps back. But I'm telling you, when you begin to get your head knowledge into your heart, and it becomes heart knowledge, salvation comes in those situations. Those who God breaks the greatest often get saved from the greatest of things. 
hey, I love you today. I hope I haven't been too forward with you today. Let me pray for you, will you? Father, I love you today. And God, I love you only because I know you love me. You have been with me. You've worked with me when you shouldn't have. You've forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. And you've strengthened me and held me in your hand and got me through this part of my life. And God, I know that you'll continue to do it. God, I thank you for when my head knowledge began to be my heart knowledge. And God, today my prayers for those that have been listening and that are here today, God, and need to move that knowledge from their head to their heart so that they can overwhelmingly overcome those things that seem to be overwhelming them. God, show them the truth of this message. God, I'll forever be thankful. And so will they. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. I hope it encouraged you. We would love the opportunity to pray for you. Send an email to info at renovation.church. And if you would like to partner with us financially and help us reach people with the message of Jesus, you can do so at renovation.church. Have a great day.